On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the vaccine mandate movement, staff shortages, the impact of the supply chain issues, and in our focus segment, we review the final CMS 2022 payment rule for ASCs and HOPDs. Welcome to the AC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 145 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for November 7th, 2021. We're recording from Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. Well, we're back in our studio here in Spencerport, and you are all bundled up I like am. it is winter time. <laughs> 45. I thought it was chilly when we were, we just got back from vacation in Hilton Head, and it was a, a little chilly there, but nothing <laughs> compared to Rochester. We're back down uh, in our studio here with no windows and no <clears throat> ocean in the background and no uh, yep. lively sounds there. We were able to get two episodes, I think, which we posted yesterday, but we recorded while we were down mm-hmm. in Hilton Head. Uh, and then, uh, of course, this one is a busy one. We've got a lot of stuff going on here, but it's been uh, an interesting time. We were gone for, what was it, about 12 days down in Hilton Head? Got to mm-hmm. spend a little bit of time away, but with everything going on in the industry, I yeah. think we worked more than half time. Uh, from our condo down there. So that was quite a bit of a challenge. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm recording this and I have to leave like as soon as we finish the recording <laughs> yes. uh, to head down to Las Vegas. Um, this afternoon we're recording on a uh, Sunday, November 7th. I had to look at the date there. And that date's going to become important as we talk about some of the things that are coming up in the, uh, mm-hmm. the, in the news segment. So uh, again, we're recording on Sunday morning. Yep. Uh, November 7th. I'm heading uh, to Las Vegas for the 2021 Ambulatory Surgery Centers Congress, uh, which is going to be November 8th and 9th, 2021 at the Araya Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I'm doing a speech on governance. Nice to get out and get uh, speaking in public again. I like having an audience, Sue. It's a lot better than... uh, Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as much as we enjoy our virtual conferences, yeah. uh, there's there's a lot more uh, excitement about being in person. But when I come back next week, we uh, have our four day n- uh, director of nursing uh, boot camp. So there are yeah. still two slots left, uh, believe it or not, for that. So if you're hearing this uh, before next week, go to our website at ASCPodcast.com. We do have two slots that we actually open up two slots mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just to just in case people um, cancel out. Uh, which sometimes happens at the last minute. So uh, it's still availability. So go to the ASCPodcast.com website. So uh, let's uh, talk about some of the news that's uh, going on in the industry right now. I kind of hate doing this. It seems like 
Sometimes it's all bad news, but yeah, there really think, isn't a lot of know, good news uh, today. Yeah. So we know that many states are are again starting to delay, um, and I'll kind of quote unquote elective surgery. Um, this past week in Colorado, hospitals and hospital-owned ASCs have been ordered to temporarily stop performing cosmetic procedures, which is how they define it, which if delayed for up to six months will not cause harm to life, limb, or function. Um, and this is due to the hospital's lowered capacity caused by not only COVID-19, but the staff shortages that have been caused by COVID-19. There are also fewer beds available as people are now starting to get help for some of the health issues that they had to put off during the pandemic. So it's kind of just all building on itself. Yeah, this is interesting because I think we were all waiting for the COVID-19 to be over with, the hospitalizations for COVID-19, but now we're dealing with staff shortages. Actually, you have a couple other uh, news uh, items about um, staff shortages. It's not just the uh, vaccine mandates, mm-hmm. but it is people are just deciding not to go back into healthcare or yeah, getting burned out. Right. Or we have, there are so many other areas in which they can go mm-hmm. uh, than working in the hospitals or for that matter, even surgery centers. So yep. this and is challenging. It is very challenging. And so, as you mentioned um, in an article by Gabby Galvin from October 4th, 2021, it was reported that 18% of healthcare workers have quit their jobs during COVID-19 and another 12% have been laid off. Um, and further, another 31% have said they're considering leaving. So that would just be, I think, catastrophic. Yeah. Um, 79% of healthcare professionals have said that the national worker shortage has affected them and their place of work. So, you know, it just makes me think, like, how is this going to affect new students when they're deciding what they want to go into, how many yeah. are going to decide not to go into healthcare? Um, you know, and how much worse is this going to get those people that are considering leaving? The fewer staff that's there now, the the more burnout it's going yeah. to cause. And, you know, how many people are just going to finally give up and, and leave the field? So I think, you know, that that's kind of scary. But I will say um, a possible silver lining for ASCs, at least, is, you know, they might be seen as a safer alternative than the hospital. And, even though they're facing the same kind of shortages. And as you've said, John, people shouldn't go into an ASC feeling like, oh, this is going to be, you know, so much easier than the hospital. But they're not going to get called in for overnights. They're not going to be asked to work a double or a triple. Like, you know, sometimes any nurses that have worked in the hospital know sometimes you just feel like you're working day and night. And at least that's not going to happen in an ASC. And you're less likely to work on weekends, too, if Mm -hmm. that's important uh, part of your life. So So. you kind of have built in at least days off. So And we hope that that ASCs are uh, nice. I mean, I I think one of the things that we've been kind of preaching here is the Mm -hmm. importance of of taking care of your staff, you know, being good to your staff and, uh, you know, being a different environment to work in than Mm -hmm. in the hospital, doing everything possible to to not give that hospital aura to your your organization, not only for your patients, but to your staff, too. Mm -hmm. Build that loyalty because, you know, part of the burnout is, is I think, when you don't feel supported by everybody, you feel like you're the only one working and working and working. And that can happen in a hospital if it's there's a large staff, you may be, you know, you're not as close to each you know, all all your coworkers as you might be in an ASC. Right. And when you make that team feeling where people are really like, okay, we're going to get through this together, I think that can make a big difference. People are less likely to, you know, walk away when they when they feel like they're part of a team. Uh, well, and, and appreciated. Uh, yeah, and another thing that we have been pointing out too, and again, this gets down to this boot camp coming up next week, is the importance of, of, of 
identifying people in your organization that can move up because there is a mm-hmm. severe, not only a staff shortage at the, the, uh, at the level of employees that are, are uh, working in the mm-hmm. operating room mm-hmm. and in the, in the, the pre-op and the post-op as well as anywhere else, but also the leadership of these organizations as some of these, uh, as some people are moving out of the industry completely or retiring yeah. earlier than they expected to. Uh, so we need to be identifying people that will hopefully uh, be able to take over mm-hmm. or at least take the burden off yeah. of, of those yeah. of you that are in a leadership position. In an article in Axios by Tina Reed, um, they discussed some alarming supply chain issues. Here's just some points that they made. Some hospitals have been asking for donations of crutches, wheelchairs, and walkers. John and I, we've talked about yeah. that before. So this is kind of scary. The FDA is investigating allegations of used medical gloves being washed and resold as new. Um, blood tubes and Foley catheters were reported in short supply at a facility in Alabama, and I'm sure in other places. Um, drug shortages and occasionally PPE supplies um, can still be an issue. So, you know, even though some of the shortages, like crutches, it might not seem like a life-threatening, you know, real serious thing, but, you know, they can have a snowball effect because if you have to delay your discharge of a patient because they're not mobile yet, Mm -hmm. um, more time can be spent by staff trying to find new suppliers for their drugs and other supplies. Think about, you know, in your ASC, trying to hunt down some, you know, some products that you need. So, you know, I think it's time to find a lot of really creative thinkers and problem solvers to find some good ways around a lot of these issues. And, and in discussing, I've been in touch with a lot of distributors lately. I've been mm-hmm. working with uh, the Health Industry Distributors Association, uh, HIDA, uh, talking to a lot of their mm-hmm. uh, members. And ongoing issues uh, mm-hmm. are expected going yeah. into uh, the rest of 2021 and even into 2022 as the supply chain issue uh, continues to, it's, I think, Escalate is is the right term right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we we've seen any any indication that it's going to diminish mm-hmm. uh, in the near term. So let's yeah. uh, keep a very close eye on it. Stock up, you know. Uh, um, start Again, don't, using don't your. Don't hoard it, but <laughs> that's right. Don't hoard it, and, but uh, yeah. use that administrator's office for storing extra supplies mm-hmm. there. Uh, um, yeah, and, and don't be wasteful. I think right. You know, talk about. When you're setting up your your the OR for surgery, you know, don't put more in there yeah. than what you need. You don't want to ever have to throw something out just because it was opened unnecessarily. Right. Be very careful about everything that you're using. And again, there are certain things that we absolutely have to do, like changing your masks between mm-hmm, patients. Mm-hmm. I'm still running into centers that are uh, are saying, hey, wait a minute. I don't think we uh, have to change masks between procedures. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, you do. Yeah. Well, that gets on to, again, this is all kind of not so great news uh, this mm-hmm. week. But we did want to talk about uh, the OSHA employer mandate. This is uh, – I, I want to talk about this even because this doesn't necessarily affect our surgery centers because there is another mandate that will affect mm-hmm. them. I did want to talk about the OSHA mandate. So OSHA on November 5th, uh, 2021, issued an ETS or an emergency temporary standard. And employers must comply with many of the requirements within 30 days of that November 5th deadline, uh, and which requires either uh, vaccination or testing of employees. Now, uh, this affects employers with over 100 employees. And this emergency uh, temporary standard is expected to face uh, multiple legal challenges. Matter of fact, there is, uh, we'll talk about this at the end, but there is a a hold on it. As we speak here on Sunday, November 7th, I keep having to look at the calendar here. Um, (laughs) The emergency technical standard does not apply to employers of 
uh, employees of covered employers who do not report to a workplace where other individuals such as coworkers or customers are present uh, while working from home or who work exclusively outdoors. So, so this does uh, help those organizations that uh, well, basically, if you're working from home, you don't have to wear a mask uh, all all the time, and you don't have to uh, uh, be vaccinated. But as soon as you go in, you would be affected by this. So, at any time during the duration of the ETS, if an employer employs at least 100 workers, the requirements of the ETS will ETS will apply regardless of fluctuations in the size of the employer's workforce. So, once you've mm-hmm. reached 100, even if you dip down below 100, you're still affected mm-hmm. by it. So, this is what it uh, it requires you to have. A policy, as most of OSHA's requirements do, and it requires employers with over 100 employees uh, company-wide to institute either a mandatory vaccine policy or weekly testing and a mask policy. So uh, there is a weekly testing uh, out uh, provision here. So, And vaccination exceptions are allowed uh, with this uh, OSHA uh, ETS. If an employer adopts a ma- mandatory vaccination policy to comply with the OSHA ETS, it must require vaccination of all employees and all new employees as soon as practical, other than those for whom a vaccine is medically contraindicated. In other words, there's a vaccine exception, mm-hmm. and for whom medical necessity requires a delay in vaccination, or who are legally entitled to a reasonable accommodation under either the federal civil rights laws because they have a disability or sincerely held religious beliefs, practices, or observances that conflict with the vaccination requirements. So there is both a religious exemption and a medical exemption allowed, Mm -hmm. again, under the OSHA mandate. So the only reason we bring up the OSHA mandate is because I think there's going to be an impact on our supply chain. Again, this is going to further the problem that we have with the supply chain in that many of our suppliers, of course, uh-huh. companies, you know, manufacturers, as well as perhaps some of the uh, the organizations that provide uh, services to us um, are going to be impacted by this and could potentially uh, impact their ability to supply services to us. Now, I do need to point out that a panel of three judges – on Friday from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit issued a decision that suspended OSHA's new vaccine requirement for private companies with over 100 employees. And in their statement, the judges wrote that there was cause to believe that uh, there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate. The effect of this order is a stay on implementation while the court reviews the mandate. Again, we're talking about the OSHA mandate. The appeals court ruling is in response to a lawsuit that was filed on the same date that the OSHA mandate came down uh, by a group of states, attorneys general, and more lawsuits are expected. The court has given the Justice Department until 5 p.m. on Monday, which would be November 8th, the day after we have recorded this, to respond to the mm-hmm. court order. We'll uh, provide a link to the Fifth Circuit's order temporarily halting that mandate. So again, what we just talked about is the OSHA mandate. This is really getting complicated, isn't it, Sue? Uh, And and again, most of our ASCs, almost all of them, I would imagine, don't have 100 employees. uh, So are not going to be impacted by the OSHA mandate, but they will be impacted by the next thing we're going to talk about, which is the CMS mandate. So again, before I move on to the CMS mandate, remember there is no option to test out under the CMS mandate, as we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. So then again, on November 4th, the CMS issued an emergency regulation which requires staff at healthcare facilities in Medicare and Medicaid programs to be vaccinated for COVID-19. This is actually going to impact about 17 million workers in 76,000 healthcare facilities in the United States. And of course, it does include ambulatory surgery mm-hmm. centers. It is important to note that this rule applies to 
to all employees, both clinical and non-clinical employees, and also includes students, trainees, and volunteers who work in that facility, as well as those who provide treatment or other services for the facility under contract or other arrangements. So this is going to affect all of our 5,700 Medicare-certified ASCs in the United States. So CMS is requiring the facilities covered in the regulation to ensure eligible staff have received at least one vaccine dose prior to providing any treatment or service by December 5th. And I'm going to provide a link to uh, the press release and some uh, additional information on this that'll help, including the fact sheet, which we're going to actually going to go through in a second. Mm-hmm. Facilities covered by this re- regulation must establish a policy. You've got to write a pal- policy ensuring all eligible staff have received the first dose of the two-dose vaccine or one dose of the one-dose vaccine uh, prior to providing any care, treatment, or other services by December 5th. 2021. All eligible staff must have received the necessary shots to be fully vaccinated. Again, either the two doses mm-hmm. uh, or the one dose for the J&J by January 4th, which is 60 days after that uh, mandate came out. And the regulation also provides for exemptions based on recognized medical conditions or religious beliefs, observances, or practices. So again, let's emphasize here that there is no testing out option in the CMS mandate that affects mm-hmm. all surgery centers, but there is the ability to to, uh, uh, to have an exemption for medical conditions or religious beliefs. Now, just to make this even more complicated, there are some states that have even stricter requirements. For example, mm-hmm. in New York, there is a vaccine mandate that does require all facilities to be vaccinated. But there is no religious exemption in New York. So that would mean in the state of New York, at least, again, we're only talking about New York at this Mm -hmm. point, uh, the religious exemption would not be in place. So you have to check both the federal regulations, which we're quoting right now, as well as your own state and recognize whatever the most rigid requirements are will will be in place. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to make this any simpler, unfortunately. I'm sorry to our audience. And then everything changes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's why I am emphasizing that we are recording again on November 7th here. And things will probably change by November 8th. So in addition to have a policy with re- requiring you to uh, be vaccinated, the facilities are also going to have to develop a process for permitting the exemptions in alignment with the federal law. So uh, that would mean, uh, again, depending upon what your st- state situation mm-hmm. is, you'll have to have a policy not only about the vaccine mandate, but mm-hmm. also how you'll accept both religious uh, and or uh, medical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what you will accept. And it's also important, again, we, we really emphasize the importance of, of having a conversation with your lawyers, employment lawyers in particular, um, about you know how you would deal with the employee issues here because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know there are very complex uh, legal issues here. Yeah. Now, there is a fact sheet uh, that was made available to us which has a number of questions. And, Sue, why don't you ask the question and I'll have the response here just to kind of give sure. some different voices. Okay. So is, is this a facility-specific or individual-level requirement? So the staff vaccination requirements apply to Medicare and Medicaid certified provider and supplier types, collectively known as facilities, that are regulated under the Medicare health and safety standards, which are better known as the conditions for participation, which is the hospital regulations, or our beloved conditions for coverage, which are <laughs> what covers ambulatory surgery centers. Facilities are required to have a process or policy in place assuring that all applicable staff are vaccinated against COVID-19. So again, this isn't uh, this is a, a written policy policy that you're going to have to have in your organization. Yeah, it says process or policy, but it has to be written. Right. 
Um, so which staff are covered under this requirement? This vaccination requirement applies to eligible staff working at a facility that participates in the Medicare and Medicaid programs, regardless of clinical responsibility or patient contact. The requirement includes all current staff as well as any new staff who provide any care, treatment, or other services for the facility and or its patients. This includes facility employees, licensed practitioners, students, trainees, and volunteers. Additionally, this also includes individuals who provide care, treatment, or other services for the facility and or its patients under contract or other arrangements. So if somebody's in bill, and this isn't a question on here, but if somebody's in billing, yep. mingling with, with other of the staff, then they really have That's to, correct. then they're covered. It doesn't matter that they don't yeah. have any patient contact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, does this requirement apply to staff, though, who work off-site? Interestingly, uh, in contrast to the OSHA mm -hmm. requirement, uh, yes. So these are this again from the fact these requirements are not limited to those staff who perform their duties solely within a formal clinical setting, as many healthcare staff routinely care for patients and clients outside of such facilities. For example, home health, uh, home infusion, etc. To ensure maximum patient protection, all staff who interact with other staff, patients, residents, clients must be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Does the regulation include testing requirements for unvaccinated staff? So this is very important, nope. and, and the, the answer is no. The regulation requires staff vaccination only. While CMS considered requiring daily or weekly testing of unvaccinated individuals, scientific evidence on testing found that vaccination is more effective mm -hmm. infection control measure. Again, this is from the FAQ. CMS will continue, continue to review the evidence and stakeholder feedback on this issue. However, facilities may voluntarily institute testing alongside other infection prevention measures, such as physical distancing and source control. Of note, CMS published an emergency regulation on September 2020 that established new requirements for long-term care facilities to test facility residents and staff for COVID-19. CMS expects to continue compliance with this requirement. Additionally, CMS encouraged facilities not covered under this regulation to review the OSHA emergency temporary standard, which we just talked about, for uh, separate vaccination and testing requirement. And are any exemptions allowed? CMS requires facilities to allow for exemptions to staff with recognized medical conditions for which vaccines are contraindicated as a reasonable accommodation under the American with, Americans with Disabilities Act or religious beliefs of observances or practices. Providers and suppliers should establish exceptions as part of their policies and procedures and in alignment with federal law. CMS believes that exemptions could be appropriate in certain limited circumstances, but no exemption should be provided to any staff for whom it is not legally required or who requests an exemption solely to evade vaccination. So again, these are pretty strict rules. You know, if, uh, you know, you want more information about this, we're going to provide some links to these regulations and certainly watch these deadlines very carefully. And then also keep up with the uh, um, the uh, legal challenges that are no doubt, well, have already occurred and which will no, lot, uh, no doubt continue. Yeah, because this is one set of regulations. As we mentioned, there's other ones you have to follow whenever it's more strict right. and stringent. And we really do expect there's going to be a lot of um, lawsuits coming out of it. So right. work closely with your lawyer, document everything you do. Yeah. And make sure that your governing body is involved uh, in this mm -hmm. process and that your governing body minutes reflect the decisions that are being made as yeah. to as to how you're implementing these policies and procedures. Remember, the governing body has to approve all policies and procedures. So mm -hmm. you're going to have to have a meeting, you know, yeah. well before uh, December 5th in order to uh, implement these new policies. And the decisions are consistent across the board. I think we had heard about one place that was 
um, handling it differently for employees and and yeah. for their doctors, and and you just really want to make sure that as much as you can that there can be no argument that someone was treated unfairly. Right. So of course news comes in big chunks, <laughs> and that's what we have have here. So the 2022 CMS payment rule for ASCs and HOPDs came out at the same time uh, in early November, and we're going to talk about that in our focus segment. So let's take a short break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the 2022 final payment rule from CMS for ambulatory surgery centers and HOPDs. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. But did you know that you can enhance your experience and support the free podcast by becoming a patron member? Patron members have access to ASC Central, an add-on service at a very reasonable price. Patron members have access to our regular drop-in virtual meetings where you can discuss issues that you are dealing with in your ambulatory surgery center with the hosts and other members. Members also have access to valuable member resources, including a, a document library with a growing list of resources, including the rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies and procedures, infection control resources, example risk assessments, example committee and governing body minutes, and over 60 disaster drill scenario kits and example forms and checklists. Members also have access to some of the virtual conferences that we have presented, including the Provider Credentialing Conference, which we offered in December 2020. It's a New World Conference in 2020. Infection Control in-service to meet the challenges of COVID-19. And the ASC Mandatory Education Program, which is a valuable resource for annual education for your staff. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. To become a member, visit ASCPodcast.com. So in early November, CMS issued the uh, final 2022 ASC payment rates for ambulatory surgery centers. So this is how this system works for those of you that have not followed this, is that on an annual basis, CMS issues a preliminary or a proposed rule in usually July, which then is subject to a period for uh, comment. And then after all those comments are reviewed, they've issued the final payment rule in November. And that's what we're going to talk about today. CMS is updating the CY or the current year 2022 ASC payment rates for ambulatory surgery centers that meet the quality reporting requirements by a total of 2.0%. And what this is is that uh, they, they looked at the hospital market basket increase for 2022, which interestingly is only 2.7%. It would be interesting to see if that number were to be redone today because we know that inflation has really spiked. I mean, some of the numbers are well over 5%. Yeah. But as of the, the point in time which it, this number was calculated for the hospital market basket, it was 2.7%. And then this was reduced by 0.7% for what they call the productivity adjustment. Now, note that ambulatory surgery centers right now are subject to a five-year kind of experiment. And so this was uh, between the 2019 payment rule and the 2023 payment rule. We're in year four, I believe, of that experiment. Uh, prior to this experiment occurring, 
the ASC payment rate was based upon the consumer price index, urban, uh, while the hospital rates were based upon the uh, hospital market basket. They switched us and the ambulatory surgery industry over the hospital uh, market basket, which means we get the same increase right now that hospitals do, uh, which has been you know good for for our industry, of course. Now, also that the data that they used for the 2022 payment rule was based upon the 2019 claims data. CMS recognized that using the 2020 information would uh, would probably misstate the information because 2020 was such an unusual year. Usually, they use data from two years prior to the year of the payment rule. Mm-hmm. So it is important to note that they uh, they did take that in consideration, and they're pretty much ignoring the the 2020 data that came out of the cost reports for hospitals in, tw- in the 2020 year. Now, there's also an interesting note, Sue, in the uh, 2022 payment rule that CMS is going to increase the penalties for hospitals that note make their prices public. I, I want to point this out before we get into the meat and potatoes of the of the rule, but CMS requires hospitals to post their charges for services on their websites, but that pricing is often very difficult to find on a hospital website, uh, not to mention interpret. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember ever stumbling across yeah. the uh, <laughs> menu of Right, I mean, it's not the type of thing that yeah. we tend to do, unlike mm-hmm. looking for a car where you're yeah. always looking for the pricing. Mm-hmm. We don't do the same thing with surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but CMS does expect that of hospitals, and they have found that many hospitals are either absolutely refusing yeah. to put that data up there or make it very difficult to interpret it. So they, uh, they in the 2022 payment rule, did increase the penalties for those hospitals that are refusing to do that or making it, uh, making it difficult to find that information. The reason I bring it up is because ASCs don't currently have this requirement, but with so many things that uh, that happen in the regulations, we know that eventually ambulatory surgery centers are probably uh, going to also have the same requirement. So be prepared uh, in the future to have to post your charges also. So since the beginning of the current payment system in 2008, CMS has maintained what we refer to as the inpatient-only list or the IPO, which is a list of services that due to their medical complexity, Medicare will only pay for when performed in an inpatient setting. In the 2021 final payment rule, CMS finalized a policy that would eliminate the inpatient-only list over a three-year period. And in last year, they removed 298 services from the inpatient-only list uh, as the first phase of that elimination. However, CMS received a very large number of stakeholder comments throughout the uh, 2021 rulemaking cycle, mostly probably from hospitals. Uh, and following the issuance of the final rule with the comment period that opposed the elimination of the IPO list, uh, primarily due to patient safety concerns, stated that the IPO list serves as an important programmatic safeguard. So CMS is uh, finalizing in its proposal for the 2022 payment rule to halt the elimination of the inpatient-only list and to add back to the IPO list services that were removed in 2021, except for three codes. Sue, why don't you mention those three codes? CPT codes 22630, which is lumbar spine spine fusion, 23472, which is reconstructed uh, shoulder joint, 27702, reconstructed ankle joint, and their corresponding anesthesia codes. So again, three were allowed to stay uh, off the inpatient-only list, and the other ones were added back to the IPO list. Uh, Again, we need to point out that uh, CPT, or the current procedural Terminology is a 
trademark of the American Medical Association, all rights are reserved. So this change in policy promotes transparency and ensures that any service removed from the inpatient-only list has been reviewed against Medicare's longstanding criteria to determine if it is appropriate for Medicare to pay for the provision of the service in the outpatient setting. Now, again, uh, all of the stuff that I'm uh, quoting here, Sue, is coming right out of the uh, uh, the press release from uh, CMS here. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that out. And we'll, we'll give some references to the information that I use as a source. Mm-hmm. So because they're going to be removing the uh, inpatient-only list, they're going back to the ASC covered procedures list. Um, so the rule it reinstated patient safety criteria for adding a procedure to the covered procedures list uh, that was in place in fiscal year 2020 and removes from the covered procedure list the 255 procedures that were added in 2021. The final rule also adopts a nomination process that beginning in March of 2022 will allow an external party to nominate a surgical procedure to be added to the the covered procedure list. This is actually a nice development here. It means that uh, throughout the year you can nominate procedures, at least we believe that that's what it's talking about. Uh, and then those will be considered on an annual basis as they're putting together the proposed rules. Mm-hmm. In the past, you really could only do that during the comment period. Okay. If CMS determines that a surgical procedure meets the requirements to be added to the covered procedures list, including surgical procedures nominated by external parties, it will propose to add that surgical procedure list uh, as of uh, 2023. So that'll be the first period that they'll allow that. CMS will provide sub-regulatory guidance. I don't know what sub-regulatory means. Uh, sub-regulatory guidance on the nomination process in early 2022. And CMS finalizes device-intensive procedure policy for ASCs. CMS has changed its policy and will calculate the device offset percentage to use ASC rates and not HOPD rates as this was previous practice. So as, I know this is very complex and what it basically means is they're going to be using apples to apples comparisons mm-hmm. when they're coming up with a calculation of yeah. what in device intensive would be. In the past, it was convoluted because the hospital rates are higher than the ASC rates. So this means that any procedure um, for which the device cost is 30% of the overall ASC procedure rate, um, they will receive device-intensive status. Additionally, if a device receives HOPD device-intensive status, the device will also be device-intensive in the ASC setting. So it so this is kind of the best of both worlds. It, if it's if it shows up both either on the ASC side or the HOPD side, it's going to be uh, device intensive. So for those that are not familiar with the payment rules, device intensive allows for implants to be paid separately or or at the actual cost of the implant uh, based upon national rates. It's not based upon the actual cost mm-hmm. to the surgery center, but based upon national rates, uh, which makes it a little bit easier to get pay- paid uh, a higher reimbursement for those procedures that have an awful lot of uh, costs associated with uh, their, those implants. So we're quoting this from ASCA. Not from CMS. We are not quite. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah, you're not I know. Hear I, from I them. did use part of it. But, okay, good. Yeah. What's going back and forth? <clears throat> so there were also, of course, changes to the ASC quality reporting program. 
um, and CMS followed, uh, finalized the following. So they adopted a brand new measure, which is ASC 20, which is COVID-19 vaccination coverage among healthcare providers beginning with the 2022 data collection. Uh, this is actually going to be similar to the previous flu vaccine reporting that we did to the to NHSN or the National Healthcare Safety Network. So be prepared. This is one of those uh, ASC quality reporting that will be taking effect immediately. So I'm sure all of you are gathering this information and again, we expect you to have to report it through NHSN. More information will come out shortly, I'm mm-hmm. sure. And also, uh, another major change in the ASC quality reporting program is that ASC 1, 2, 3, and 4, beginning in the f- next fiscal year, in other words, 2023 reporting period, will now be required using web-based submissions. These measures will now allow uh, apply to all ASC patients, not just Medicare beneficiaries. So those that follow this information closely will know that in the past, ASC 1, 2, 3, and 4 were uh, reported to CMS through the claims process. And so again, these measures will apply to all ASC patients, not just Medicare beneficiaries. So you need to be prepared to start gathering this information, start uh, uh, practicing it in 2022 so that in 2023, you can start reporting it. And the, probably one of the most disappointing developments with the ASC quality reporting was the requirement for ASC 11, which is cataracts improvement in patients' visual function within 90 days following cataract surgery. And that's now going to be mandatory beginning with the 2025 reporting period. So we do have a number of years to implement this and maybe a number of years to, to stop it from happening. The ASC Association or ASCA is working really hard to have this removed. It really opposes the inclusion of this particular measure, and uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. But, I, Sue, I don't know how we're going to do this because, you know, we don't have ongoing contact with our patients afterwards. Mm-hmm. What this means is that somehow we're going to have to get information from the patient as to whether their visual acuity improved after their cataract surgery. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult enough to call patient 24 hours after the surgery, let alone three months later, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to get this information. So we'll, we'll have to keep a very close eye on this to see how this measure is going to be done. Uh, even the physician who did the surgery might not easily be able to get this information since um, that, that patient only returns, you know, a couple days after or the day after mm-hmm. the surgery. They generally don't come back, you know, a couple months later. So yes. uh, we'll see how that works. And another disappointment was the requirement for the outpatient and ambulatory surgery consumer assessment of healthcare providers and systems, better known as OAS CAPS. And this is uh, ASC 15A through E with voluntary reporting through uh, the 2024 reporting period and mandatory reporting beginning in 2025. So the good news is this was held off a few more years, but you may want to start thinking about how you're you're going to do this in the future. And you're going in order to implement OAS caps, you do have to use a third party vendor. In other words, you have to hire an outside organization. Mm-hmm in order to gather this information. So the big question is, what do you need to do right away? Hopefully everybody listened long enough to get to this point. Uh, One thing is that you do need to reactivate your information gathering for ASC 1 through 4. And again, the reporting doesn't happen right away, uh, but you want to get this system in place. So ASC 1 is patient burns, ASC Mm -hmm. 2 is patient falls, ASC 3 is wrong side, wrong site, wrong patient, wrong procedure, wrong implant. 
uh, and ASC4 is a hospital transfer admission. So all four of those you should be gathering information for. You already are, I'm sure. But be prepared to gather this information and, and present it to ASCQuality.net uh, when that reporting becomes required. Mm-hmm. And if you're in ophthalmology and cataract surgery, you know, start discussing how you will gather uh, information from patients 90 days after surgery regarding their visual acuity. And then also begin looking for a vendor solution for OAS caps. And the one thing that you absolutely have to do right away, of course, is start gathering all the information with regarding who among your staff is vaccinated and uh, follow the instructions that will be coming down shortly on how to join up with NHSN again or make sure that your NHSN account is still active. Wow, that's a lot of information. Um, yes. And we went through it very quickly. Again, we'll put some links on our website for all this information and we'll keep talking about the implant import of these uh, different items. I think, Mm -hmm. Sue, one thing that I would say is it is nice that a lot of the quality reporting things really don't get implemented in 2022, Mm -hmm. uh, except for the the vaccination status. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a couple years to get ready for the other items, but of course those will happen very quickly, I'm sure. And if we don't start getting ready for them, uh, we won't be prepared in the future. Mm -hmm. Let's take a short break and we'll come back and talk about upcoming events. In this segment, we discuss other learning opportunities in the ASC industry. If you'd like your event to be included in the podcast, please send the event information to info at ASCPodcast.com. Now, I'm hoping to be able to get this episode posted before uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, before tomorrow. <laughs> so Pennsylvania Amatory Surgery Association's annual meeting is November 8th, 2021 at the Hershey Lodge in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And Ann Geyer from our company will be down there doing uh, a session. And the 2021 Ambulatory Surgery Center's Congress is also starting tomorrow, November 8th through 9th, uh, 2021, at the Arias Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And John's going to be there. He's heading right right. out. As long as I get to the airport in time, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the ASC Director of Nursing Boot Camp, the November cohort presented by the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, will be November 16th through the 19th presented virtually. For more information, visit ASCPodcast.com. And there's more than just, you know, the uh, boot camp is more than just the four-day event. Uh, There's also, you know, weekly sessions where people can drop in. It's mm-hmm. not required, but you can drop in and talk about it. Access to a huge database of policies and procedures uh, and just a, a lot of ongoing uh, mentoring back and forth on, uh, you know, with the directors of nursing. So yeah. it's a great program. And again, we have a couple slots left. So for more information, go to ASCPodcast.com. And the Fall 2021 Finance and Accounting Seminar presented by the ASC Podcast with John Gailey will be December 9th and 10th, 2021. Um, This will be virtual. This is the industry's only conference dedicated to ASC finance and accounting, and we'll discuss both basic and advanced finance principles, and we'll discuss the 2022 final CMS payment rules in more detail. Right. So unfortunately, uh, we've had to put this together kind of quickly. We've had some uh, Mm -hmm. issues with timing here. So uh, please get the word out to everybody. We'll be doing a bunch of uh, advertising to to get the word out about this conference. Uh, We didn't have a spring conference like we had planned on, uh, and we put together the fall conference kind of quickly, and we apologize about that. But it is the only conference that's totally dedicated to ASC finance and accounting. There really is nothing like it in the industry right now. 
And ASCA 2022 is going to be in Dallas, April 27th through 30th. This will be live, uh, I'm glad to say, and as the ASC Association's conference is back, I will be speaking, I think I'm doing four sessions there, and there'll be a special track there for new ASC administrators. For more information, go to the ASCassociation.org. Well, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Galey. And please spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Galey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Bornem, and Zach Calaritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, and Ann Geyer. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Galey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast has been an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.